yeah, I, I missed a Sunday. And today I want, I, I want to continue with what I had been uh, talking about on the Sundays leading up to last Sunday, even though I wasn't here. I want to continue. So there was a little uh, brief interlude, I'll say. Uh, we had been talking a couple of weeks ago um, about uh, God's people, God's people. And specifically a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the idea of being Jewish. And if you were born a Jew, it's just, does that just get you in the kingdom? That's it. You're born, you're in. You, know, you have this birthright to just walk right on into God's kingdom and that's it and that's that. And uh, does that apply to, to anyone else? Is that, can anyone just be naturally birthed right into the kingdom of God? And we went through the scripture and we found becoming one of God's people really has nothing to do with that natural lineage, where you were born, who you were born to, who your mom, dad is, whatever. It's got nothing to do with it. That It's all by faith. And that really is throughout the entirety of Scripture. Faith, faith alone. God has one single people. And it, it is by faith. We become the children of God. That's, uh, you know, the New Testament Gospel of John. We have the right to be called children of God by faith, believing in Jesus Christ. And we touched on some Images, though the scripture uses various images to show God's people one people, and God alone sovereign over all of them. And a couple weeks ago, we touched on all these different images one tree, one root, one house, one foundation, one flock, one shepherd, one church with one high priest over the church, one kingdom with one king over it all. One bride and one husband, the only bridegroom, Jesus. One covenant, one mediator, one body, one head over all, again, Jesus. And that's just great imagery to show any and all are welcome into the kingdom of God. We were reminded of that, uh, me, Julie, uh, Pastor Barry and Linda and uh, many others last night here from Bethesda, we were at Hope Church and their grand opening. And I'll tell you, it was just such a beautiful reminder. Every kindred, every nation, every tongue is gonna be in heaven. It, it, they had every song sung. English lyrics, Arabic lyrics, what a beautiful, just, just like a piece of heaven. Everyone, God's people. And it was such a beautiful reminder. And by the way, Bethesda, the heartfelt thanks from Hope Church to all of you for helping them. They had a great history, nine years of all the different locations that they were at. And uh, 2018 to 2020, there was a big photo of Bethesda, and then uh, 2022 to 2024, again, Bethesda, their hearts are just so grateful for the fact that uh, y'all opened up to them 
They just loved them and uh, let them be here and to worship, and now they've got their own home. And if you ever go by uh, Shelby Road and 23 Mile, it's a beautiful thing. Stop in, visit them. Uh, they, I'm sure they will just welcome you right in. They've got a sign, and it's, they got a deed this time too. So <laughs> it's a great thing. It really is. It was so wonderful. Uh, but we're all part of this. We're all part of the kingdom of God. And to be a, uh, I'll say, to be a part of that tree with the one root or a brick in the house that's got that single foundation, the cornerstone, Jesus, a sheep in the flock, a co-worker in the church, uh, to be wedded to God in a sense. And uh, under the blood covenant, it's all by faith. It's only by faith. No one comes in through natural birth you can't earn your way in either. You can't buy your way into the house. You can have as much as you want. You can work as hard as you want. You're not coming in. It's only by faith. And today I want to just give another by faith alone example, another image uh, from God's word about being in the kingdom by faith alone and what that means. And the image today is a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Uh, and the image is that of being an heir. Now, you, you hear the word, and immediately you might think, well, that's, you know, hey, that's just a contradictory in terms. What's going on? Because you just said there's no, there's no being born into this. And now you're talking about an heir. And isn't an heir all about natural birth? An heir's all about who brought you into the world, at least for the most part. I know you could assign an heir. You can, you can pick anyone in the world. You want it to be an heir. But heirs are typically by blood. Uh, early on in Scripture, we'll, we find that. When Scripture talks about being an heir, it's all about who was, who were, what's your parentage, what's your ancestry. But I want to go through some Scripture and, and discussion, and let's discover how Jesus made for you and for me and for everyone, he made this opportunity, presented this opportunity to become an heir, to, to be an heir of God, which is really amazing to think about. And today, we were encouraged, who is, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus your everything? Is he your provider, your healer? Uh, is all your wealth in the cross? You know, because if we're an heir of Jesus, and we're gonna get to that, we're gonna get from this idea of it being blood lineage to this spiritual, spiritual heritage and discuss just how important that concept is uh, to be an heir and, and meditate on that, everything, everything through, through Christ. So let's, let's just touch on the term, you know, what is an heir? I know we all really know what it, it means. It's, it, an heir is someone who stands to receive an inheritance. Typically, that's why you're called an heir. And usually, that's a parental thing. It comes from a parent to a child, this idea of heir and inheritance. The parent owns, possesses things, uh, and the heir inherits 
from the parent. And there can be all kinds of heirs. An heir can be a spouse. An heir could be a sibling. It could have multiple heirs in a family. An heir could be adoptive. And just for simplicity's sake, without getting all technical and complicated, just, let's just keep that kind of uh, parent-child concept in mind. And look at these two terms, heir and inheritance. They're, they're closely related uh, and they're often used in the context of passing down, passing down estates, possessions. You know, we use the word estate, which just means everything a person owns. And when they pass that down from one generation to the next, uh, that's typically called an inheritance. In ancient uh, Judaism, this concept of inheritance was very important. And for a firstborn... Firstborn son in Judaism, it, it had even a little more importance. A firstborn son had what was called a birthright. Now, that didn't mean that the firstborn son got the whole thing, or they were the only ones that were an heir to the, to the parents. The, the firstborn wasn't the sole heir, no. Firstborn son, his siblings were, would also be heirs, but the, that firstborn, that idea of this thing called the birthright, it, it offered a better inheritance. It offered a better inheritance. The Bible gives an example early on. It's, it's Genesis chapter 25, and if you just want to stick your finger in Genesis 25, this is early on in the history of the nation of Israel. God had selected a, a man named Abraham. Abraham had no kids, but he did have a son named Isaac, uh, and it was through Abraham, God said, I'm going to build a nation. I'm going to build a nation, reveal myself. And he began uh, with Abraham. Abraham had his son Isaac. Then Isaac marries a, a woman named Rebekah. And then Isaac has kids. He has twins. We'll read about these twins. He has twin boys. And it, even though there's, there's twins, there's always one first. So there's a firstborn, a secondborn. And let's read uh, in Genesis 25 about these uh, two boys. Their names are uh, Jacob and Esau. And a little bit about this idea of birthright. So we're going to touch on verses 24 through 34. And we're going to have some other uh, sections of Scripture later, um, Book of Hebrews. And really, again, we're going to give a, a good bit so we have context. So here in Genesis uh, 25, it's about the birth of Esau and Jacob, and then a little bit about their lives. It says, when the time came for her, Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Esau means hairy. They could have called him hairy. His name was Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Jacob, literally, heel holder uh, or supplanter. And, and that means you know, he put someone beneath him, took someone's spot, and, and we'll see how, how that fits for the name Jacob. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter. 
a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Edom means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. Now mark those words. Look, I'm about to die. Oh, is he being a little melodramatic? Come on, I'm dying here. I'm starving to death. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore him an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Pretty blunt last line there, Genesis 25. Esau despised his birthright. What did he despise it for? He despised it for dinner. I brought some. This is what, I think about it, he's saying, I'm dying for this. I got some red, it's a little brown, but there's, there's red lentils in here. This actually smells really good. Got some bread. Lentils in his bread. Now I get it. You know what? He was out hunting all day. I don't know, maybe a few days. He comes back, he's famished. His brother's cooking. Smells really pretty good. Has he ever had one of those days? You've just worked and worked. I've done it where I, I forgot to eat. I'm driving home. I drive down like fast food alley. I'm riding by Mickey D's, Taco Bell, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They're all calling my name. Sometimes I've said that I am dying. I'm dying. I got to stop in and get me some of that. Oh, you know, nothing right. Deep fried chicken or a good taco. Esau. Esau was dying. He was dying for just a little bit. And I'm telling you what, hmm, this is really good. I could, I, I'm not going to stop and eat, but I could. I'm not dying, though. He was dying for something like that. And the Word of God says, so he despised his birthright, his birthright that gave him a better inheritance He despised his right to a greater inheritance, a greater blessing for a meal. Have you ever known someone who received a great inheritance? Ever known anyone that just, someone passed away and just passed them something? And man, it was just an amazing day for them. They're flush with cash, their wallet's full. They can buy whatever they want now. Life for them, it's become carefree. It's carefree. 
You know, sometimes it seems easy that we could, we could envy such a person. But often the old saying, easy come, easy go, it applies to those situations. And, and depending on what kind of data you read, and uh, you could dive into this and find a variety of statistics, but anywhere from 60 to 70 to even some say 85% of those who inherit, and, and especially sizable sums, it's gone relatively quickly. A generation, two generations, forget about it, there's nothing left. And examples abound. I'm gonna share a few examples with you. You may know more, you, pro- you might know someone uh, who, who has just burned through an inheritance in no time at all. Uh, I give you Mar- uh, Maureen O'Connor, uh, she was heir, speaking of, speaking of meals you might die for, she was heir through her husband to the Jack in the Box restaurant fortune. Her husband was the founder of Jack in the Box. 50 million she inherited, and she burned most of it on video poker. And she was eventually convicted of money laundering and she, uh, because she was using the proceeds from her deceased husband's nonprofit foundation to cover her gambling debt after she burned through all her cash. Ultimately, she was destitute. Uh, here, here's one. This is uh, not, 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 not like such a, a, a great, huge fortune, but listen, I wouldn't turn it down. A guy named Graham Roos, he was 26 when he inherited about 750000 from his great aunt. This kid's story, he knew she was going. He, he was like, I don't even have to work. He didn't even want to go get a job because he knew, like, great aunt's going to go and leave something. And uh, once he received his inheritance, he went on what he described as a sex and drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. Expensive parties, trips, extravagant purchases, less than two years. 750K, gone. And then his debt was piling up. He had to take a, he took a job at a laundromat to try to start paying his bills. Two, less than two years. George Huntington Hartford II. He went by Huntington. Uh, he was 11 years old when his father died in 1922. And he began at that time receiving a million and a half dollars a year. 11 years old, 1922. That's a lot of cash, a million and a half bucks a year. Uh, his dad, his granddad, his granddad had started a company called the Great Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company. That became A&P, if you remember A&P. AMP was like the Kroger's in uh, kind of the days gone by. Second largest company. They became second largest company in the world. Second only to General Motors. And Huntington, he had two uncles that ran the company. He eventually went to work there. He lasted about six months because he just, eh. he, he had the playboy lifestyle. He was married and divorced four times. Um, he burned through the entire fortune throughout his life eventually becoming a drug addict uh, late in life that forced him to bankruptcy. He was rescued by a daughter, fortunately. He had a daughter that, uh, that loved him and for the last number of years of his life took him in. He died in 2008, nine, 97 years old. And in one lifetime, one lifetime, he burned through a fortune that took, took two generations to build. Now, these stories are endless, and I'm sure you could, you could name some that you, you know. 
people that despised their inheritance. They had a birthright. They were heirs. They had a legal right to share in these, these vast amounts. And when they received it, they just wasted it away. It's like Esau. Like Esau, they, they despised their birthright. You know, keep Esau and, and these, these images of people squandering their, uh, their inheritances away. Keep that in mind. As, as I propose to you uh, this morning that we all have a birthright. We have a right to a priceless, unimaginable, eternal, never-ending inheritance. And the writers of Scripture, the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament specifically, they're nearly unanimous in this, in, in mentioning an, an eternal inheritance. And it's got nothing to do with natural heritage. See, Jesus made it possible. It's an inheritance that can only be received through Jesus Christ. And, and in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the book of Revelation, Paul in several of his letters, the writer of Hebrews, James and Peter, they all touch on this eternal inheritance that you, that you and Christ are entitled to. And let's touch on just one example from the New Testament because as I said, all these authors touch on the the eternal, beautiful, wonderful birthright inheritance that we have through Christ. But I want to touch on it from the book of Hebrews. And let's read a section from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 26 that speak to this. Speak to this idea that of what we have in Christ. It's, an, it's amazing. Yeah, you can't wrap your head around it. It's so huge. The, the writer... He wrote in verse 15, for this reason. For what reason? Well, read the first 14 verses. And the reason is Jesus died. He gave his life. He sacrificed for you. He went to a cross without anyone making him. He gave his life for you to make this blood covenant so this is what the writer's writing about. And then he says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, now here, we're, here comes the, the example of dying, receiving an inheritance. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with the water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. 
In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. The heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What better sacrifices than all the goats and the bulls? Christ, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary with made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is just such a powerful passage of scripture telling us all that Jesus has accomplished for us one time. He's not sacrificing himself over and over and over again. No, he's the perfect, final, only sacrifice acceptable to God, opening the way for any one of us to enter into to heaven with him. He died giving himself a ransom payment for our sin. Jesus took our penalty upon himself. God's economy is this. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, I know some people don't like that. Ah, that bloody religion. This is, this is the heinousness of sin. This is how offensive sin was to God that, that this idea of blood sacrifice was required. And so God made that Without the shedding of blood, it's impossible to have the forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. And so Jesus shed his blood. And Christ nullified the necessity of the high priest having to make these sacrifices all the time over and over again. Jesus came to earth and he appeared once for all. That's everyone. That's everyone. That's you. That's me. That's anyone in here today that's never grasped hold of this idea that you can be saved and in heaven forever and ever and have eternal life. It's for everyone. Jesus did away with all that other bloody sacrifice by giving of himself and he received the death penalty for our sin. It's an amazing thing. He entered heaven and he mediates in God's presence for us. Christ did it all. He did it all. He offered himself. And for those who take him up on this offer, that first verse I read, there is a promised eternal, forever and ever, eternal inheritance. Now, how can you become an heir to such a thing? And I want this. This is the best deal I've ever heard of, to be an heir to an eternal promise. Well, it's by faith alone. It's by believing that Jesus Christ did exactly what we just read. And we read on in the book of Hebrews. You read on, we're in chapter nine. You get up to chapter 11, and it's all about faith. Faith, by faith, by faith, over 20 times, over 20 times in chapter 11. By faith, by faith. It's only by faith, believing that Christ paid it all, that one becomes an heir of this promised eternal inheritance. Can't earn it. Can't earn it. You're not going to live eternally by earning it. You might try, try as hard as you can. Work as hard as you can. Try to pay as much as you can. It'll never happen. We can't purchase it with any sum of money. We can't offer our own selves as a sacrifice. It's a free gift. It's a free gift from God that we don't have to earn or work for. 
And you, you know what happens sometimes when something's free to us? We just disrespect it. Something comes, we didn't really work for it. We, we didn't work hard for it. It gets dishonored. It gets disrespected. It gets despised. What does the word say about Esau? What does the word say about him? Further on in this same letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Suddenly Esau comes back into the picture. This writer's been expounding over and over just about how amazing Jesus is. Jesus is better than everything. The writer, in essence, writes, Jesus is better than it all. You have this eternal promised inheritance. And then suddenly he brings up Esau. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Let's put a little more context around this scripture. Let's read a couple of the verses above it and the one after it. Let's read uh, verses 14 through 17. See, see just a little bit more about what, what this writer's getting at. In verse 12, or chapter 12 there, he writes in verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Esau tried to get the blessing of the birthright back. His brother Jacob secured the blessing, though. After all, he had, he had purchased it. He purchased it for a, a bowl of lentils. Esau was like, eh, I kind of forgot about it, it seems. And when it was time for him to receive the blessing that he was due because of the birthright, he tried to get it. His brother Jacob got it instead. And then Esau come back to his dad like, Dad, don't you got a blessing for me? And he cried, cried. He sought the blessing with tears. Yeah, Esau spilled bitter tears of regret. But he never truly repented for what he had done, for despising his birthright. And here in the New Testament, he's called godless. He profaned his inheritance. He's put in a league with the bitter, put in a league with the troublemakers the sexually immoral, and the godless. A single meal, single meal that he was dying for. Just gotta have it. I'm about to die. He satisfied his flesh, and he despised, he despised what God had given. Now many have followed suit. Many had followed, have followed suit in the satisfaction of flesh, I'm just dying, I'm just dying. And they turned their back on God. And in a moment, they squandered, they squandered a huge, wonderful inheritance. A, a, a man named Lot, he was running from Sodom and Gomorrah with his daughters and his wife because those two cities were being destroyed. 
And his, as his family's being led to salvation, his wife turned back. She turned back to look to the cities, despised her salvation, and she never received it. Moses was a man who, uh, he, he led the people of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery and bondage. He was going to a land that God had promised. God called it an inheritance for them. You're gonna inherit this land, it's gonna be yours. But the people were afraid. Oh, we'll die if we go into that land, Moses. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We're dying out here. We're gonna die. Oh, we wanna go back to Egypt. Man, we had good food there. We had all kinds of good stuff. They looked back to Egypt, despising the promise of God. And thus, for 40 years, they wandered until every single one of those faithless people died in the wilderness, and none of them received the inheritance. David, king of Israel, he looked, he looked off his, uh, outside his palace one evening, and he spied a beautiful woman. And he just had to have her. He was dying for her, dying for her. So he brought her into his palace and he committed adultery with her and she became pregnant with his child and he schemed to cover up his sin and it did not work. So he compounded his sin and he had her husband killed and then he went on as if nothing happened. David despised his inheritance. You know, God called him out. God exposed David's sin. And what did David do? I want to compare a little bit what David did with what Esau did. Esau spilled bitter tears of regret. Oh, I lost my blessing. David turned back to God. Heartfelt repentance. Psalm number 51 bears it out. And, and David's song of repentance, uh, Psalm 51 it begins this way, have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And David goes on, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verses 16 and 17, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not Take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And that's the difference between two men who, who turned against God to satisfy their flesh. And this shows us that any and all are tempted in these ways. You know, a man of the field, a hunter like Esau, tempted, tempted by his flesh, the king the king over the entire nation, tempted by his flesh, and they both fell. Both fell. And yet, one repented, and the other just cried his crocodile tears. Now, come on forward. Come on forward to the 21st century. Come on into the church. Some are still despising their inheritance. 
What are you dying for? Anyone dying here today? You dying for something? Anyone, anyone been dying? You know, satisfy your flesh. Satisfy your flesh. Something, you got a bowl of lentil stew in your life? That could be a lot of things. It can be a lot of things. Pulling you away from the promised inheritance. Oh, it, it, it can happen to everyone. Temptations abound. Are you dying for something? You just dying for something. The writer of Hebrews wrote, those who do not live in peace with others, they had a bitter root. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Not just those uh, uh, who are good to you, but even those who hurt you. Everyone. Make every effort to live in peace. Oh, hold on a second. Well, I'm just dying. Oh, I'm dying to get revenge. Well, that person hurt me. What are you talking about, God? I am dying to take it out on them. Been there. Been there. Been hurt. Oh, Lord, I just want to get even. I'm dying to get even. I want to show them how wrong they were to me. Oh, what they did to me will not stop. Stand. Oh, that's, that's been my bowl of lentils. And you know what that is? This is being a troublemaker. This is being what the word says, being a troublemaker. Don't blow your inheritance being a troublemaker. Dying to be vengeful. Dying to have your way. Dying to get right. No. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. What's your bowl of lentils? What's your bowl of lentils? Well, I, I, I don't know. Students? You need to get perfect scores. You need to get A's all the time. Now, even though that might mean like, hey, hey, could you text me a picture of that test, please? Get an A, though. Get an A. Got to be with the cool kids. Got to be with the cool kids all the time. You know, join the other cool kids and ridiculing the kids that aren't so cool. Kids don't, they don't have the right shoes, they don't have the right coat, whatever. They don't have the right phones, they don't have the right friends. What's your bowl of lentils? Be holy. This is what the word of God is, is pull, it's encouraging us. Well, we're being pulled. Well, we're being pulled towards something to satisfy our flesh. Don't despise your inheritance, be holy. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Pornography, is it your bowl? Is it pulling you? Ooh, I'm dying to get online. I'm just dying to get online. Just gotta go, gotta go. I got, is that your bowl of lentils? Do not despise your inheritance, be holy. What's your bowl of lentils stew? Is it being like the top dog at work? You gotta, you gotta cut corners, you gotta steal someone's, uh, Clients, you're gonna inflate your worth. Don't despise your inheritance. Be holy. The, the, the number of lentil uh, soup bowls, it's infinite. It, it's infinite. And, and we sometimes we just die for it, and our flesh wants it so bad. And it, 
it despises an inheritance that you know, we didn't work for. We didn't, re- we didn't earn. Came at no cost. And it's so easy to blow it off. A guy that was making a million and a half bucks at 11 years old. A million and a half a year. Gone. Blew it off. He had no skin in the game. It's very easy to squander when we got no skin in the game. I want you to consider, you got, a, you got a bowl of lentils in your life, you got something pulling you, consider, consider what that bowl of lentils, what's satisfying your flesh, what it means to Christ. What does it mean to him, the one who did have skin in the game? The one who put his own flesh on the line. Squandering that inheritance, it means showing contempt for all Jesus did. It means disparaging his sacrifice. It means dishonoring what he did by willingly laying himself down on a Roman cross to take nails into his hands and feet. And when we grab a, a hold of these things, when we, whatever they are, whatever, whatever we grab a hold of to satisfy our, our own desires and our own flesh and our own lusts, we're showing contempt for what Jesus did for us. That, that he made possible this eternal inheritance. He promised for us when he hung on that cross and he died for our sin. Don't. Don't do that. Perhaps think differently. Think, think about what it, what it was, what it would have been like if it was you. What if you'd have been flogged? I don't, I don't think I could take one lash without wimping out like, I can't take this. What if it was you that got a crown of thorns just pounded in your head? Think of what it's like to receive, to, to have the searing heat of a, a nail go boom through one of your extremities. See, Jesus did that. And for us to reach for this, just to shames at all he, he gave his life he offered to, to us something we didn't pay for we don't have this we don't have the skin in the game like he did it's a free gift and man sometimes those free gifts are so so easy to take for granted and so this morning I just want us all to just look inside and ask if, have we ever turned from Christ to reach for something like this I don't know if you're doing it today because it's just so easy to do. I want us all to take a few minutes just to look, look deep inside. You got, you got something like this you're just, you're dying for. And money, whatever, I don't know, whatever it is. To satisfy your flesh. Esau shed tears of regret. David, offered a contrite heart. So I, I just invite you, and I'm going to ask too, if, if anyone, if you want to come, and you don't have to. I'm not calling anyone out. It's a very, it's very personal. If you want to come and lay it right down at, at these altars, you know, Christ Jesus, I want to pray that Psalm 51 to you. By all means, by all means, these, these altars are wide open for that. But you have your eternal inheritance.
and say, I'm an heir. I am an heir. I'm an heir with Christ to this eternal promise. So take a few minutes right now. Just, just look inside. Look, look, look into your own heart. Let's, uh, let's just stand and take a minute to offer it all to, to the Lord. everything for me and help us not to be one who would despise but offer to you what you don't despise a contrite heart a broken and contrite heart have mercy upon us O Lord according to your great compassion according to your loving kindness God blot out our sins and transgressions and overshadow us with the loving kindness and the grace of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ God, I just ask that for every single one here, any who've been dealing with any sort of pull. And God, help us to leave here secure, knowing we're heirs, we're heirs. Our eternal salvation's fixed and set. And we're in Jesus' hand. Thank you for that, God. And if there's anyone in here, anyone, anyone who's never, ever set that secure, God, I pray right now for any heart in this room that doesn't, it's just like I never really reached out to Jesus. I never knew I could be a child of God. I never knew he paid it for me. Lord, I pray, Lord, for any who received that sacrifice of Jesus right now. Bless them, Lord. Help them. Draw them closer to you. May we see them up in that water of baptism soon, we pray. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' holy and his precious name. Amen.